All right, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, uh, we thank you for giving us this time together to consider your generous character. Uh, we are grateful that you have been so kind and good to us uh, to give us yourself in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, we belong to him. And so we're thankful. Uh, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning, uh, that we might behold you um, in your beauty and majesty. Uh, may we see the risen and ascended Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. So the last two weeks, we have been wrestling with what went wrong with the image of God. Uh, we have been focusing on why we no longer reflect the generous character of God. Uh, rather, we persistently reflect uh, the opposite, uh, not generosity, but stinginess, uh, not self-giving, but self-serving. Uh, so uh, as a way to get started, what did we learn last time? Uh, I'll open that up. What did we learn last time? Go ahead and unmute everybody. Anybody? What did we talk about last time? One thing you said was that the world wants us to believe that God's not enough for us. That's right. That's right. The Lord is not enough for us. His love specifically, right? His love specifically isn't enough for us. Caleb, were you going to say something or, or somebody else? Okay, so I'll go ahead and mute everybody. Yeah, in our, in our previous lesson, we learned about what went wrong with the heart. Uh, we saw that the heart became self-enclosed and has become prone to hostility, not only towards God, but also towards one another. Uh, so no longer does the human heart operate from the abundant love of God, but from a position of scarcity. Uh, it takes for itself because it fundamentally believes that God's love is not enough. Uh, as with the corruption of the mind, human love has become about self-preservation. Uh, it constantly seeks self-gratification. And so we have two more, or one more aspect, actually, to consider. Um, and so we have, to, we have to wrestle with this last aspect, and it's about our strength or about the human will. Uh, we'll be covering the downfall of uh, the vice-regent rule uh, or vice-gerent rule of man. Uh, what happened uh, with the human will? Uh, why doesn't it rule the way God intended it to? Um, as we do, let's remember to keep the two other aspects of the image of God in the back of our minds. Uh, that is the mind and the heart. And so even as we talk about the human will, um, we have to keep those two other aspects in mind uh, because we can't ultimately separate the image of God. 
Uh, but let's brainstorm a little bit before we begin. And I want to begin with a few questions. Um, uh, can, can anybody point us, point us uh, to ways in which human rule is corrupted in our culture? Uh, in other words, how do we know our sense of rule has gone wrong or has gone south? I'll go ahead and open it up for us. Do I see a clean shaven Charlie? Who's that young man? <laughs> yeah, so how do we know from our culture that uh, you know, that human rule is is corrupt? Uh, laws that contradict God's law. Okay. Bad law. Yeah, that's good. Anybody uh, else? You know, the many examples throughout history of um, tyranny, force, coercion, uh, those types of things. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'll go ahead and mute everybody again. Yeah, I mean, we see it all over the place, don't we? Uh, as much as I disagree with Nietzsche, um, he was onto something when he said, life is the will to power. Our, our natural desire to dominate and reshape the world to fit our own preferences and assert our personal strength to the fullest degree. And so for, for Nietzsche, that's, that's what life is. And, and I think he's onto something because uh, really that's what, the fallen human will uh, tends to to do is to is to dominate and reshape, and we especially see this will to power with corrupt politicians. Uh, they are probably the prime examples of what this looks like in a big societal scale. Uh, it's when certain individuals use their given powers to attain and acquire what what fits best according to their agendas. Well, why? Because they function out of scarcity. Um, because they want for themselves. They think um, ruling with abundance um, will, will, will leave them with nothing. Uh, but it's not only with politicians, obviously. This is also true for our personal relationships. Uh, it's it's especially evident in, in our marriages, right? Where there's constant fight for power um, between a man and a woman uh, because it's so prevalent. It's, it's important that we learn more about this human propensity to take and obtain uh, for our own advantages. So here's our main idea this morning I want us to wrestle with. Uh, and it's this. The fall of humankind left us with a will that seeks to dominate others because we fail to believe that God allows us to participate in his generous rule. Uh, I'll say that one more time. Uh, the fall of humankind left us with a will that seeks to dominate others because we fail to believe that God allows us to participate in his generous rule. 
Uh, before we proceed, I think it's important uh, to remember what proper rule looks like as God's uh, vicegerents or as, as his co-rulers. Uh, ruling in the kingdom is not about brute strength. It's not about lording uh, ourselves over other people. It's not about, um, it's not about self-service. Uh, ruling in the kingdom is about self-giving in a way that reflects the generous rule of God himself, because that's the way he rules. He is uh, a king who rules by giving himself for us. And so with that, we need to go uh, once again back to the scene of the crime, uh, the place where this whole mess started. And so let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, last time we saw what happened uh, after Eve and Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, suddenly, they became acutely aware of their nakedness. Um, they, they, for the first time, felt that unmitigated shame um, which was reflected from their own nakedness. So what do they do? They attempted to cover themselves with fig leaves as if that was going to possibly cover their shame. Uh, and they hide from the Lord as if that they can possibly hide from the omnipresent Lord, right? That's the foolishness of sin. Uh, from there, God questions the man and the woman. What have you done? Uh, who told you you were naked? Uh, and then they go on to play uh, the blame game. Uh, she made me do it. And you made that woman. It's your fault. It's not me. Uh, that the snake made me eat of the tree. And you put the snake there, right? So there was a, a huge blame game that was played between Adam and Eve. Uh, how does the Lord respond to their finger pointing? Well, the Lord proceeds to announce curses on the man, the woman, as well as the serpent. Uh, so he starts with the serpent. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you above, uh, above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Uh, notice the Lord does not excuse Eve for being deceived by the serpent. Uh, but in a surprising twist, God also gives a blessing in the midst of this curse to the snake. Uh, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, the theologians call this the proto-euangelion, which means the first uh, gospel is the first time uh, the gospel or the good news is announced in scriptures. Uh, right after uh, the fall, this is the first good news that, that, we, heard, that we hear from scripture. Uh, but I want you to notice the curse that God announces to the serpent. There will be enmity or hostility between the woman and the serpent, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Uh, this enmity will show itself in many ways in redemptive history, uh, but a crucial aspect has to do with power. Uh, the enmity will become a power struggle with the two and their offspring. Uh, but of course, the battle for power 
will not will not be simply between uh, the woman and and the snake and her seed and his seed. It will also be between the man and the woman and all consequent men and women. Uh, check out what the Lord says to the woman. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Uh, what a curse, right? Uh, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Uh, this is important because it says something about what it looks like uh, now to rule in God's creation. And it says something about relationships between uh, men and women. Uh, there's now a strong antagonism between man and woman. Um, to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You're going to want to control him, uh, but, he, but it says, but he shall rule over you. Uh, you know, men are created generally more physically powerful than women. Uh, that's, that's probably what the text is getting at there. Uh, men for a long time have used their physical dominance. They've used, uh, they've used it to denigrate women throughout humankind's long history, right? Uh, I'm not saying that there haven't been men who ruled their household well, in ways that honor the Lord, but far too many abuses have, have occurred from this simple declaration, he shall rule over you. Uh, men throughout history have dominated over women in brutal ways. And I think that's something we have to acknowledge. And for this reason, Peter tells, uh, Peter tells the stronger vessel, uh, the man, um, this, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A man ruling over their counterparts has been a source of great abuse and continues to this day. Um, men have displayed harshness throughout uh, with their wives. Uh, but I don't want to just pick on men because men aren't the only ones who can be harsh. Uh, women also have expressed disdain and harshness with men, right? Uh, we, so we read things like this from Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7. Solomon says, and I find something, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is, is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. And of course, the antagonism isn't just between men and women. It's also present uh, in the relationships between uh, men and men, women and women, parents uh, and children, and all other forms of human relationships. Uh, but most of all, what the serpent did in that garden what Eve and Adam did in the garden brought forth man's struggle for power with God himself. Uh, why? Uh, because no longer do people submit uh, their will, their power to the Lord's generous rule as he is the creator of the universe, but rather humans now see God as being stingy with his rule, that God is just trying to control us. 
that we will not experience freedom in submitting to God's rule um, as he calls us uh, to rule on his behalf. Uh, I want us now to consider some of the figures in scripture where this power struggle is evident. Uh, so let me, let me unmute everybody and ask, uh, where can we see this scarcity type of power operating in the Bible? Anybody? Um, Saul kind of goes crazy when he's losing his throne. Nice, nice. Let's get the there. First, first thing that comes to my head. No, that's good, Jennifer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get there in a little bit. Does anybody else? Can anybody else think of you know this power struggle going on in the Bible? Well, how we outline, use in your outline you talk about the egyptians um versus the israelites and how the egyptians didn't like how mighty the israelites were becoming oh that's just cheating cheyenne <laughs> what can i say i read all the verses <laughs> no okay no that's good yeah how about when the jewish leaders are jealous that jesus is gaining a following and and how they set out to kill him because oh. of that Totally, totally. Um, uh, let me let me kind of uh, use this time to to tell to tell you guys what we'll be talking about the uh, the next three weeks. Um, the next three weeks are our last three weeks, and they're going to be about the gospel, right? The the restoration of of generosity in our world, and um, we'll primarily. Uh, cover what Jesus did for us to to recover and renew um, this generous um, this generous character of God in us. So, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everybody and move on, move forward. Well, yeah, we we can certainly go back to Cain, right? Uh, Cain, how he imposed his will over his brother, which led to murdering him. Uh, then we can also talk about David. Certainly he used his power against others in the story with his adultery with Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Uh, he took his power and used it to take advantage of not only Bathsheba, Bathsheba uh, but also her husband, which also led to death. Uh, we could spend more time there, but I'm actually thinking of another king, uh, which Jennifer uh, said earlier, Israel's first king, right? King Saul. Uh, how did he use his power to promote his self-serving agenda? Well, remember how King Saul became king. Uh, the people asked for him. They saw he was handsome and uh, was a foot taller than everyone else. Seems like the perfect fit. And for a while, that seemed to be the case. He, you know, he, he did so well. He defeated the Israel's, um, uh, he defeated Israel's enemies. Uh, but how quickly things change when you defy the living God, right? Uh, which started back uh, when he took the spoil after battle. Uh, the Lord specifically instructed him to devote everything to destruction, um, that's the word harem, right? Devote everything to destruction. 
but Saul, he saw, um, he saw that it, it was, it was good to take and he, and he took, uh, the result was that the Lord rejected Saul as King. Uh, that was an active, uh, on Saul's part, an active disloyalty to the true and generous King. Uh, because after all, Saul is just, um, a, a vicegerent. He's just a, a secondary King. He's not the true King, right? But it's even more clear that his power was about, um, but it's even more clear that his power wasn't about service um, with the consequent, with his consequent interaction uh, with David. Uh, we can sum up Saul's disposition with one word. Uh, I think of the word jealousy. Saul was jealous of David uh, because David was favored by the Lord and was going to reign in Saul's place. Uh, what happens when we're trying to hoard control for ourselves? Uh, well, uh, you do what you can to prevent someone else from gaining power. You know, you track them down and you, you put them down if you have to. Uh, protect the throne at all costs, right? Uh, from that point, it was a game of cat and mouse. Uh, what do we learn about the power dynamic when it's based on scarcity? Well, uh, violence ensues, jealousy, uh, all kinds of evil ensues when, when we think and operate out of scarcity. Uh, in the last two lessons, we've transitioned uh, from the individual corruption to the corporate um, corruption. Uh, let's stick with that pattern. Um, where do we see in the Bible this corrupt rule affect a whole people uh, where people commit themselves to a scarce overtaking of others? I know uh, Cheyenne already mentioned Israel, but can anybody else uh, think of a group of people where this dynamic is true? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everybody. Will you ask that question again? Yeah, wh where else do we see kind of like this corporate corruption of power at work, you know, in, in the Bible? Pharisees. The, the Pharisees? Good. What about the Pharisees? What did they do? They enslaved the people to the law and didn't understand what the meaning behind it was. They They saddled them with tremendous constraints. Yeah, they, they were very, uh, many of them were very legalistic, right? They, they used uh, religion to control. I mean, does that still go on today? Um, absolutely, right? Any other examples? David and his sons. The sons tried to rise up against him, got a following to try and usurp his power. Okay. Babel. Oh, yeah, Babel. Babel, okay. All right, that's a good transition right there. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and unmute everybody. Um, I'm sorry, uh, mute everybody.
yeah, the story of Babel. Um, that's, that's a good place uh, to go to see this. It's the first time in the biblical account that a whole group of people rise up in defiance. Um, I mean, sure, there were individuals rising up before that, but this is really the first time a whole people uh, rise up. Um, what were they trying to accomplish as a people? Well, they were um, wanting power and renown, right? Uh, which is really the opposite of what ruling with generosity looks like. Uh, because we're, let's remember, ruling is not about telling people what to do. It's about serving them. Uh, Babel, Babel is the upside down um, kind of rule that God hates. And that's why he, he, he breaks them up and he scatters them. Uh, then we encounter virtually the same thing uh, with a um, with a few of the superpowers of the ancient world, right? Uh, I think of Egypt. Uh, remember how the book of Genesis ended? Uh, Joseph and the Israelites end up living in peace and prosperity in Egypt after they are reunited during a famine. Uh, so everything was good um, until the opening of uh, the book of Exodus. And so we read this in, in the opening. It says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exce exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Um, yeah, everything was good, right? even right there. Uh, but such a dream didn't last forever. As soon as the next king arrives on the scene, it's all over. Uh, this king doesn't know Joseph and what he did for the Egyptians, uh, but, he, but he does know one thing. They're going to take away our power to rule our kingdom. And so he says to his own people, uh, Exodus 1, 9 through 10, he says, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Uh, did you notice uh, the way he will deal with them or, or he calls the people to deal with them? Shrewdly, uh, they dealt with the Israelites cunningly. Uh, who else is cunning, right? Who else is cunning in the Bible? I mean, doesn't that remind you of the way the serpent dealt with Eve and Adam? Uh, and even more, this king uh, doesn't want Israel to multiply, to have dominion. Again, doesn't that remind you of the Garden of Eden? The serpent did not want Adam and Eve to fulfill God's generous blessings on them, right? Genesis 1.28, right after God created man and woman, uh, says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, the serpent did, not, uh, did all that he can to stop that blessing of co-ruling with God. Uh, it's the same thing with this new king in Egypt. He's going to do everything he can for Israel not to be fruitful and exercise dominion. Uh, Israel is getting too big uh, that they're going to be ruling this place as soon as we know it. Uh, we, 
we better go and do something about it, don't you think? Um, so what does he do? The king makes Israel Egypt's slaves and appoints them taskmasters. Uh, that's what it looks like to rule in scarcity. Uh, we will be tempted to constantly use our power to put ourselves above others, that others won't flourish and won't have uh, dominion. Uh, of course, the downward spiral uh, of oppressive rule continued in the Bible. Uh, we encounter it the rest of um, in the superpowers in the ancient world. Uh, they oppressed and conquered Israel. Uh, nations like Edom, Philistine, Babylon, Persia, Assyria, Rome, etc. Um, and, and two, Israel itself was plagued with this unjust rule where they too uh, used their power for their own advantage rather than, um, rather than uh, expanding the kingdom of God. And so let's pause there. Are there any questions or comments before we move to our final section? Any questions? All right, nothing. Um, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everybody. Uh, so far, we've wrestled with the Bible's unfolding story of what it looks like for people to rule out of scarcity. Um, it's a type of rule that begins on the assumption that it's about might and entitlement, uh, that, that it's about getting our own way. Uh, but as we've seen, the Bible's view of human ruling is not about power, but about service and self-deflection. Uh, ruling is not about an opportunity to use our position to lord over other people. Uh, the reality is that we are still dealing with the repercussion of an ungenerous will, um, a will that operates out of scarcity. Uh, can you think of some of those repercussions in our own relationships and community? Uh, how do we use our will uh, with each other in a way that says God is not in charge here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and unmute everybody if, if somebody has anything to um, contribute there. So think very concretely, right? Like, how does this corrupt will show itself in our own communion, in, in our own personal lives with each other. I like how in the, the book group, Bonhoeffer explains it as imposing my idea of the image of God onto other people and not giving them the freedom to be who God made them to be. So try and, you know, being irritated that people aren't the way that I think they should be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're, I think we're bent towards that, right? We're, we're, we want people to 
to conform to what we think is right, what we think is, is good. I think one of those would be allowing people to pour into us and not really give much in return. Just kind of taking rather than you know, giving any sort of equal amount. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Like, um, if ruling is about is about serving, right? The opposite problem can can occur when we say, "Serve me," and, and yeah, that's 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 totally the opposite of of ruling is when we want people to serve us um, rather than serving others. Anybody else? Surely we don't have a problem with this with like our leadership or our, you know, our parents, do we? Nope, completely innocent. Yep, I guess not, okay. <laughs> All right, um, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everybody. All right, so biblical dominion and ruling is, is about self-denial and service. Uh, it's a way of ruling that puts others above ourselves. Uh, it's really what we're uh, looking for in our leaders. Uh, but sadly, that's not what we find all the time. We find corruption and entitlement. Uh, I mean the leaders out there, right, in, in um, our culture. Uh, we find those in high position using their power to gain for themselves. Uh, but what happens when our wills are ungenerous? Uh, yes, we see it all over the place in our culture, but uh, you know this is true in the church as well. Uh, I don't think I have to convince you that church leaders like pastors and elders and deacons can be incredibly selfish and prideful at times. Uh, it, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty ugly, right, when that happens. Uh, but the same is true with congregants. Uh, we're all plagued with an ungenerous will, at least a propensity towards it. Um, but that is an aspect that God is continually reforming and reshaping in us. And so Paul instructs the Philippians, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, beloved, we have to fight against the temptation to assert ourselves ungenerously, to put our agendas above the welfare of other people, because it will ultimately lead to what? It will ultimately lead to disunity. Uh, this will to power will separate us. I mean, have you noticed how often the Bible addresses disunity. Uh, even the apostles themselves uh, had times of disunity where they couldn't get along. Uh, who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand? Uh, most of Paul's letters are written because people weren't, get, weren't getting along. Uh, there was so much in-house fighting. Over and over again, Scripture calls us to be united in mind, heart, and strength. Uh, when our wills are guided by the rules of scarcity, uh, we will be separated. 
we will not be united. Uh, think about, you know, the relationships in, in our own lives, uh, how this uh, way of life shapes the way we relate to one another. How many broken relationships have, um, uh, have occurred because one is always trying to get on top and then the other reacts and so on and so forth. That power dynamic, as, if it continues in our lives, it will break us and it, it, will, um, it will separate us. And as a consequence to, to disunity, we will find ourselves mistrusting one another. I mean, haven't, haven't you noticed we can be suspicious of others uh, when we're not on the same page, when we are putting our own agendas ahead of others, uh, when that's how we operate, uh, it's easy to question each other. And even those that God has put in authority over his church, uh, because a will bent in scarcity fundamentally functions out of mistrust and skepticism. Uh, not confidence and humility. Um, when we are resolved to have our own way, uh, things like this in the Bible will be incredibly hard to hear. Uh, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Uh, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I don't want to dismiss the pain that people have had from failed leaders. Uh, so I get how difficult it could be to trust those who, who, whom God has entrusted to lead his church. Uh, I think many of us have experienced that and has met, uh, made many of us jaded. But the answer is not to trust them. It's not, not to trust them, right? Because the answer is ultimately in trusting the Lord who allows us to generously partake in his rule. Uh, leaders fail, but the Lord does not. So that even when our leaders are failing, we can trust the Lord that he will never fail. Uh, the same is true in our personal lives, isn't it? Uh, we are often suspicious of others because we tend to think mostly about ourselves. Uh, but the Lord is not calling us uh, to a life of mistrust. He's calling us to a life of trust um, because ultimately it's, it's uh, a reality behind that trust of our trust in him. Uh, our propensity to judge others in ways that put ourselves above them, uh, that's when we know we aren't sharing in God's generous rule but are usurping his generosity for our own advantage. Uh, we have to fight against that tendency, beloved, uh, because God, God's call uh, is that we use our strength and power to serve uh, and not to be served. And so I'll, I'll end it there. Does anybody have any final comments before I close in prayer? Go ahead and unmute everybody. Any thoughts, comments?
All right, I'll go ahead and uh, close us in prayer then. Let's pray. Uh, our Lord and our God, uh, thank you that you know our shortcomings and yet you meet us um, in our lowliness. Uh, you meet us that you might change us uh, to make us more and more like our generous Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, be with us this morning as we prepare to worship you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might behold our gracious King. Uh, we pray all of, all of this in the name above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>